How's, how's the audio video? Oh, it's great. It looks One, really good. Two. Smooth. Three. <laughs> Smooth as silk, my brother. <laughs> good. Okay. Yeah, my voice is going to sound unusually. You know, I, I came down with like a virus yesterday. And uh, I mean, I was feeling sorry for myself, you know, and took some steroids and stuff like that. Um, so now, now I'm in the weird situation of not knowing if I'm, 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 you know, sick or well, you know, because the the drugs are masking, you know, the reality in some way. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Which isn't a bad thing, really. No, no, indeed. So and it was actually yesterday when I saw your video. So that was it was very interesting. Uh, it made me not feel. So sorry for myself, actually. Well, I'll tell you something interesting. You know, um, I don't know what your relationship is with problems. You know, life is life is full of problems, right? And and life, in a sense, is a not is a problem, but I think I've had this belief for many many years that life should be relatively smooth, and the problems are like bad, negative, yeah. You know, like shouldn't have problems. Like one hundred percent happiness is life with no problems. And, you know, whatever, 10% problems makes you 90% happier, 50% problems makes you 50% happier, and so on. And since I got this diagnosis, I'm like, I think, th- I think that's actually not correct. <laughs> I think that's actually not a true way to look at it. So, for instance, so, like, let's say, I don't know, like a month ago, I think like everyone, you've got your problems, things are going well, things are going badly. And I thought, you know, boy, would I ever be happy to have the problems I had last month? You know, that would be fantastic to have the yeah. problems I had last month. Now, not that I don't believe this is going to be fatal or anything, but but if it was, at some point I'd be sitting in a hospital bed staring up at those always discolored ceilings and saying, I would just be happy to have any problems. Because, you know, when you're dead, you have no problems. At least that's the, that's the secular theory. So I think that's been really interesting for me to have a change in the relationship to what I perceive as problems in life and problems in in the world um, that we are problem solving machines and that problems are actually um, kind of like the weight to our muscle that they, they do they right. do strengthen us and so on so I think from that standpoint I mean this is just one of six million things that have been going through my head since sure, sure, uh, sure. I got the diagnosis but um, sure. uh, there but are so th- many positive this. things that can come out of these kinds of things well most most life problems you feel like maybe you uh, they're especially frustrating when you, depending on uh, how much control you believe you have over them, right? So if it's a problem of a, of a debt and you see a way to, to earn some more money to pay it off, then, then the answer is there. But something like lymphoma is a little bit murky, right? Uh, so does that add to the, the, uh, the, the confusion and, and the, the, the sense of things? Yeah, I mean, I mean you, I'm pretty science-based when it comes to treatment. I've been certainly getting some very interesting recommendations about things that sure. I could do. Uh, but I'm pretty right. science-based as far as that goes. What I, I guess one of the things that first I first thought of was the domino effect of additional stress. You know, stress is tough on the system. And so yeah. when you get a diagnosis, my sort of concern was then you, you kind of cave and you get these dominoes, you know, like oh, I'm sick. So then you get really stressed about being sick and that makes you sicker. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm sicker and I'm really stressed about that. And then you go and get some blood work and it's like, oh man, you know, this is... And, and I, I was concerned about that kind of snowball effect. So for me, I mean, it sort of was an effort of will, but it's actually not really an effort of will anymore to just say, I'm going to relax into cancer. I am going to relax into cancer. And that's a strange thing to even contemplate for me in the past, but it's actually a very possible, possible and positive thing 
to occur. Um, you know, I felt you've familiar. Dealing, yeah, sorry, go ahead. You've been dealing with this for about three weeks, uh, the diagnosis? Yeah, a, a little, actually, it's three and a half weeks, and I started my chemo yeah. on Monday. So I've had okay. my first round of chemo, which okay. has been uh, astonishingly mild. Um, again, I mean, this is something that I, sometimes hits people who are older or more frail, but I'm in a very robust yeah. and, and healthy, so I think that my body's able to take it a lot better. Um, but, um, yeah, so, uh, it's been, uh, I guess, yeah, almost yeah, closer to four weeks now. Yeah. I'm closer to four weeks and it is, Do you, uh, well, um, I'm sure you've been reading a ton about the subject. Um, what do you think about this common view that I've often heard that one's attitude, um, that, that one takes towards these things has a lot to do with one's prospects and, and, uh, pace that of is, healing. Um, that is fairly scientifically validated, um, the great, delightful, and lovely Stephanie Murphy, um, who is quite well educated in the subject, sent me um, some uh, information about that. That that your, um, I, I, I mean, I believe that the mind-body link is very strong. It's very strong. Uh -huh. I don't think you can will yourself in and out of things. I mean, I think I just had some bad luck. I mean, I, I'm, I eat well. I have a good weight. I exercise a lot. I don't smoke. I barely drink. Yeah. So the genetics uh, appear to be the the issue, and so unfortunately, you just have some bad luck. The the prognosis is, is positive so I but I do think that you have to find a real reason to have the hunger to marshal all of your body's energies into uh, into cure into and that to me is about having a future that you can design that is even happier than your past I think that's a very important yeah. thing to to work on and so for me um, you know the the troubles and tribbles of all the stuff that rolls around in your head or at least rolls around in my head all the time the good and the bad and the frankly insignificant stuff that happens on the day-to-day -day relative to the big picture of your life's happiness. I think trying to focus on how, how can this be an opportunity for uh, an even better life? Uh, and and right. again, I know this all sounds like you know the happy cancer hallmark card, but it is oh, really yeah. true. It is really true that you can find um, something incredibly positive out of these kinds of uh, things. Not to the point where you say, yay, but to the point where you say, out of you know, out of what is happening, some really, really positive stuff uh, can occur. And uh, that, to me, has just been, been fantastic. Uh, I mentioned this to you on email, and I might as well re-say it here, but and uh, the f handful of cases I've, I've known of people that I've been close to who have had cancer or had a, a child with cancer or something like that, they all have said the same thing to me, that um, they sense that people tend to avoid them um, after the diagnosis uh, becomes public knowledge. Mm. Um, and uh, then I've also talked to the people who are doing the vo avoiding and asked them why are they doing this. And they always say the same things. They say, well, I'm afraid I won't be able to say the right thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm afraid I'll say something wrong and kind of screw things up, you know. Or, uh, well, then they maybe they rationalize and say, well, I think maybe the person just wants to be left alone. And I would just be bugging bugging her. But uh, unfortunately for the, for the, for the victim, um, it's terrible because you go from having a normal life to suddenly feeling uh, alone and isolated uh, in a strange way. So I've just noticed this pattern. Yeah. yeah. Um, so far, what has been the response of your of your your listeners and your and your fans? Have people been you know open with you, or do you sense any of that weird anxiety that people have? You know, it's. Um 
it's it's complicated as you can imagine. Um, I I yeah. certainly feel a bit of I don't know if it's a guy thing or whatever. Just you know, crawl under a rock and lick your wounds till you get better, and then come out, you know, yeah. uh, holding a motorcycle yeah. above your head or something like yeah. that. I, and I think that's natural. Um, but no, yeah. for, for the most part, people have been great. When you're that's great. When you're a public figure, of course, it's. You, know, you are a vessel for projection. You know that that happens, right? And people project the good and the bad stuff. So uh, sometimes, of course, people are um, dealing a lot more with their own feelings rather than focusing on you as an individual, which again makes sense. It's it's just part of the part of the way things are. Uh, but uh, no, people have been uh, fantastic, and we've uh, I actually some friends have come up to stay uh, for the week, and uh, that's been that's really cool. great. Um, and so we've got, you know, lots of offers for people who want to come up and help. And I definitely want to absorb that, you know, I mean, you want us to be oh, yeah. the house alone with your daughter again, <laughs> you know, so uh, having no, those no. kinds of conversations have been great. So, and I'm going to try and, you know, make it out to, to, to see and, and speak people. It really depends where my sort of, you know, the, the, the white blood cell count will be low at some points during the chemo. So I may be more susceptible to infections, particularly I don't want to do that in another country. So there may be some limitations, but I really want to, you know, I don't want to vanish and disappear. And I think um, staying in contact with people is, you know, this is, uh, um, there's something kind of more collective about an illness than there is about some other things. Uh, because, I mean, we're all going to face something like this at some point in our lives. I mean, that's, you know, something kills right. you eventually, right? Again, not to sound overly dramatic, but this is a common, mm-hmm. uh, this is a collective experience. And of course, people have gone through this with their parents. They've gone through this with grandparents and so on. So I think it can right. be more of a communal experience and I definitely don't want to um, hide. But there is also a kind of funny thing. I don't know if it's just me or, but there's also, there's a vague feeling of like, I don't know, is it shameful to be ill? Is it? Did you do something wrong? Did you? You know what I mean. I don't know if the wages of sin yeah. or something like that, but there is a little bit of yeah. that uh, sort of stuff that happens uh, yeah. as well. And I've really been trying By to me. make sure I don't yeah. go down. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you, I had a funny thing happen to me a few years ago. I, I went into the doctor and I was having some chest pains, and I said, "I don't know, doctor. They just won't go away. It just won't go away." And of course, the truth is that everybody's always worried about. You know, maybe I have cancer. I mean, most of us go through our lives wondering, maybe I have cancer of the foot, maybe I have cancer of the shoulder. You know, you always wonder. So he said, well, you know, we'll take a scan. So he scanned my chest and he said, unfortunately, we found a spot. So I want to rush you into, uh, you know, whatever that crazy machine is. So you could just imagine. I was just, you know, in a meltdown. I went to the, you know, I had the little Zoom thing. And then they're looking at the screen. I could see them through the glass door. They're all kind of staring at this picture of me, you know, and, and I'm like, not don't, allowed Don't anyone do this. Don't, don't anyone <laughs> <laughs> that's not what you want. That's not the mime that you want to cross yourself here. And don't like, oh. <laughs> like El Diablo. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, were, they had these poker faces on. They're staring at it. So I just couldn't stand it. So I actually walked into the lab room. I said, what the hell? Is, what, what does it say? I mean, you, and they're like, well, it's a little strange because uh, we don't say anything. And so then the doctor comes in and says, well, apparently there was a, uh, they just didn't clean the lens well on the x you know. So this is a whole day. Meanwhile, I had texted, you know, everybody, you know, these doom messages, you know. And so I went through this upheaval. And by the end of the day, of course, everything was perfect. But yeah, it was a weird kind of experience to suddenly have this sense of there's something inside of me that's potentially dangerous, you know. Oh, you feel like your legs Um, are caught in a bear trap you can't even see. Yeah, um, yeah, of course, because yeah. you want to do something. You want to, you know, there's a fire, run away from it. There's a bear, run away from it. There's a the wolf, fight it. But this is like in right. you. And uh, it is, um, it's a very, because it's, it stimulates a fight or flight response, which is the worst thing that yeah. can 
can occur for your future health. So, I mean, it's, it is a really kind of Zen reversal thing that you have to work on, which... Um, Maybe that's why cancer is so terrifying to people and, and why it's just such the a special kind of enemy, you know? Yeah. Uh, because we, we, don't, we don't really know what to do with it and there's so much uncertainty and, you know, uh, it marshals such internal resources that you have to use. And as you say, it's a big public thing and it, it's, it can be just ghastly. Um, uh, let me... Um, Put a scenario before you. Um, I'd like your response to it because for some reason this this incident stands out in my mind. Um, some years ago, there was a hurricane in my neighborhood, and I mean, it blew all night. Terrible things happened, and we all woke up the next morning, and trees were down. You know, all electricity was out, water was out. It was a calamity, and everybody came pouring out of their houses. Um, with a sense of, of sadness, but also determination to do something about it. And I was kind of walking around the neighborhood, and there was one particular house that had a whole tree that fell on it. Um, I think it might have killed one of the, or at least injured one of the children in the house. The whole thing, thing was smashed to smithereens. We all looked at that and said, basically, there but for the grace of God go I. You know, thank God that didn't happen to me. And we all tried to help them. And we had a, a sense almost of, of good fortune. I mean, even though all of us had been afflicted by terrible tragedy, the sense that it could have been worse, not just because that one house was down, but just an overwhelming sense that it could have been worse, was kind of the thing that I think made everybody uh, hopeful, Yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, and Do you I've, think there's anything to that story? I mean, I, yeah. I just observed it at the time, because I was wondering, why isn't everybody walking around in a state of misery, you know, why were we all kind of feeling energetic, like, let's fix this up, you know, right. I mean, it, it was an interesting thing. Well, I, there is definitely um, something in it, because life is a, happiness is a lot about a scale um, in, in your life, and part of aging is to keep adjusting your scale, right, I mean, this is, I'm 46 now, and, <laughs> you know, if, I mean, I can't do what I could do when I was 20, right, uh, so, so part of it is it's sort of about adjusting your scale. I had a conversation with my daughter the other day, which I thought was something along these lines. So, um, some some friends were staying, and, and we're actually we're we're um, doing something on the deck. We're power washing it and going to stain it and all that kind of stuff. I love doing that kind of physical stuff because you know so much of what we do is this weird yeah, blops yeah. on the internet kind of crap, right? So I like to actually do something. It's like, hey, I did that, you know, as opposed to there's some bits on a server somewhere that people are downloading. And so I went out to get some lunch for everyone who was helping out, and. Um, uh, the woman wanted a donut, so I was going to get her a donut. And I said to Isabel, and Isabel, my daughter, said, I want a donut. I want a donut. And I was like, well, you know, that's a <laughs> I, I try to, you know, she, I'm like five times or oh, eight times her size or something. So I think a donut the size of like a, a tractor wheel. And it's like, that's not good, right? So I said, well, you can have half a donut. And she was, you know, upset. You know, and I, I, I had to pause her and I say, look, you know, like literally 30 seconds ago, you weren't even thinking about a donut. And now... You're only getting half a donut, and all you can think about is half the donuts that's missing. And yeah. so actually getting a half a donut is making you sadder than when you weren't going to have any donut at all. And we had a great conversation yeah. about that kind of expectation. Cool. So I think that is uh, – the half a donut thing is sort of <laughs> rolling around in my brain because uh, there are inevitably problems in life. The idea that we – you know, that the only, the only good sailing is, you know, light breeze, calm seas, and everything else is a problem yeah. uh, is, is not true. There are always going to be – and I think I've, I've sort of tensed myself against – problems and disasters in my life, you know, that there's a bad thing and a, sure. a negative or a way, as I was saying at the beginning. So, 
yes, a hurricane came through. That's a problem, and things are going to have to be fixed. But um, uh, that is life. This is this is what happens. Uh, this is even the case with me. You know, I mean, um, uh, seeing the people in the hospital who are much much worse yeah. prognosis than I have, it's like. I'm not that, you know, that's, that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. I mean, if this is the only right. health scare I have in my life, and I'm actually incredibly gratified, I'm really surprised at the number of doctors who listen to my show, I guess, because I talk a lot about healthcare, all sending me very sort of positive information and, and outcomes and so on. So, you know, it could be a million times worse for me. Uh, and uh, so if this is the major health scare I have in my life, I actually, you know, until I get old, uh, it's, I'm still doing pretty well because my health, I mean, I've never spent the night in the hospital this, for this little neck operation that's the first time I've ever been under I've never broken a bone I've never had any kind of illness yeah. as an adult so if this is it you know I can I can live with that and there's a lot uh, a lot worse news that, that could have come out in the US there's a, a lot of sort of private um, foundations and charities that have <clears throat> chipped in to provide really great services for people undergoing uh, chemo and dealing with, with uh, cancer and that sort of thing where you can stay in apartments, you know, if, if it's serious chemo that takes, you know, several days with radiation or whatever, they have apartments for you. Um, you know, whole communities where you get to know other people and can talk uh, with other people who are going through something similar. But is that, is that uh, and it's all provided by, by private money for the most part, actually, despite the gazillion dollars spent by the state, you know. I mean, w once you actually get sick, you know, you're depending on things like McDonald's, you know, a charity. Um, is that same thing um, available in Canada? Well, less so, of course, because they, the, the treatments are all, all paid for. I mean, I did look into treatments yeah. in the U.S., which are really quite prohibitive. Yeah. And, um, but the treatments are all paid for. There is some stuff in particular for, for people who have tertiary costs, right? So there are, you still have to pay for your drugs and so on, right? So that's an expense. Uh, for people who have, um, you know, obviously, I mean, the most horrible thing, right? I mean, if, if your child gets ill with some particularly dire uh, ailment, then, you know, it's your time off work, it's coming down, it's, you know, all of the yeah. tertiary expenses, which the healthcare system obviously doesn't and can't really cost. Yeah, there are some charities definitely involved, and the hospitals do do a lot of charitable work. Uh, the McDonald's up here as well has the sick kids for people whose children have, uh, have cancers and so on. So I think there is a natural sympathy for ailments. I mean, and even for ailments that people cause themselves, you know, like 70 to 80% of ailments are like, results of lifestyle choices and stuff like that. Uh, but I think, you know, once somebody's sick, I think most people, you know, who have any kind of <laughs> throbbing muscle in their chest, I think are like, wow, that's, you know, that's really unfortunate. What can we do to help? And that's something that I've always sort of um, relied on and, and understood, you know, I mean, because I, I mean, I work on charitable donations, which are, which are fine. So um, there is a lot of that up here as well. Um, there's, uh, you know, people not too far from us whose kids are sick and, you know, we've donated and we've, we've helped them to, to raise funds for their, you know, for the tertiary expenses, which can't be covered. And that I think there is a real humanity about that. This is a shadow we yeah. all live under, uh, whether we know it or not. Yeah. Well, this is all also part of, you know, what you and I would call, uh, society. Um, <clears throat> it's integral to the market economy, right? I mean, it's just, human beings serving each other, helping each other out, struggling together, you know, to make the best of uh, the plight of this world. And this is actually what annoys me so much about these claims um, that we need massive government policies, you know, because, I mean, they not only take away resources that could otherwise be used for doing good, um, but they, the programs themselves are actually un very often unreachable, you know? Mm. 
uh, I remember some years ago I encountered a, a, a seriously disabled kid who was maybe a, a teenager and wondering why with all the vast social apparatus, uh, government apparatus in place to serve the disabled, this kid seemed to be so much on his own. You know, just alone with his family, raising money for his wheelchair, raising money for for every bit of treatment. And I actually looked into it and tried to contact government agencies, and I found found it nearly impossible to navigate the bureaucracies. And so did he. You know, it's they're not responsive. You know. Well, and well, you know, what's so tragic, Jeff, is is the degree to which because people think that the issue is taken care of. All of the tertiary right. scaffolding of natural tribal human society doesn't come into effect because people are like, right. well, the poor, you know, I mean, I pay all my taxes. There are like six million government agencies and services and education and this and that. So you don't see a lot of people like, um, it, you know, we was talk about the people who fall through the cracks, the poor kids who need an education. Well, I mean, good heavens, people would mentor them, they would help them out and so on. But because it's like, well, there's public schools and, uh, and all this stuff, so they're getting their education. So the, we assume the problem is dealt with. And, and there's nothing right. worse, I think, in life than, than thinking a problem is dealt with when it's not. Because then you're just not, it's not right. even on your radar, but the problem usually continues to deteriorate. And so I think, I wonder with this, with this young man, uh, if people had recognized that, or didn't have the fantasy that he was being taken care of by the state, to what degree other things would rush in to fill that. I mean, I'm, I'm certain that, that there would be much better resources available for him in that situation. Yeah, a sense of personal responsibility, and then, then an entrepreneurship that comes with looking for charitable entrepreneur, uh, opportunities, instead of just figuring that, well, I gave it the office by force, you know, so right, I, don't have right. to, I don't have to worry about it. I mean, there's a really, there's a serious displacement. And in a, in a strange way, we live in a very cruel world, you know, despite the welfare state, and maybe because of it, actually. I think because. Where, where, yeah, where it's, it's weird. It's like a laissez-faire society would actually, in a sense, be less selfish in that conventional sense of the term. Because you'd have, you'd have a, a greater sense of connection. Like, well, I have a direct responsibility for for solving problems myself you know, with my community rather than always relying on this mystical entity out there to take care of everything. Well, and of course, even just the basic economics. I mean, the, the system has, quote, made a fortune off all the problems that I've yeah. had, which is not, would not be at all the case in a free market society. I mean, this basic problem of incentives, which we've all, you know, all libertarians and anarchists have talked about for years, that uh, they're making good coin off delays, misdiagnosis, and that kind of stuff, and treatment. Uh, whereas... Um, you know, early early prevention and all that kind of stuff, or you know, getting it out before it turns rancid, uh, would would it be a, a very different situation? But um, you know, in terms of another, I it's not too much of an obvious segue, but it's something we talked about, wanted to chat about. I mean, as far as um, ways to be grateful for the half a donut, I mean, um, I mean, what if I'd been in Iraq and something like this had grown well, in my neck, right? Because we, I, this is something I talked about recently. Yeah. What an incredible gift it is to even have the resources around government provided, though they are taxed, though I've been to provide them. What an incredible resource it is to have available to me, which is not available to most people in the world. So that's another thing to be incredibly grateful for. This is a natural segue. And I have to tell you my own response to watching your hour-long uh, really video documentary on the Iraq War, uh, which I watched in its entirety and with not the slightest, you know, temptation to look away from the screen, I was just amazed by it. I think it's a, easily the best presentation on the Iraq War. And I was thinking this morning that if I were going to send it to anybody who didn't really know that much about a subject, which is like practically everybody, if I were going to send one thing, I would send a link to your video. Um, I mean, it's. I think it's that. I think it's that good. It's a, it's masterfully done, and um, 
it really prompted a lot of thoughts inside of me. My, uh, I don't write about war that much. I care about it. Um, I'm against war, but you know, I can only do so much. You know, I tend to write about other subjects. Um, and I, I almost felt a sense of like I had unjustly neglected this topic. I mean, the horror that you outlined uh, was intriguing. So that was one thing I thought. Second thing I thought was uh, I, I can't, and that's what I wanted to ask you. How do you account for people's lack of interest oh. in what our governments are doing to people abroad? How do you make sense of that? You know, it's I'm just a little sort of goosebumps up my neck just thinking about it. There was something, I felt the presentation was long enough, so I didn't add this, but I, I, what I wanted to say very briefly at the end was, and, and also I wanted to be, to be accessible to more people on the left, right, who are quite pro for government for social programs, but against imperialism, right. is that if, if you look at the, the, the soulless monsters who are at the top of our government and who are enacting these un, unbelievable, brain-staggering horrors overseas, and the media that is complicit in keeping the information from the people. Uh, so it has to show up in things like the Boston bombings and so on. Uh, this is how you know, right. un, un, unspoken information always comes out some other way. Um, that these are the same people that you want to educate your children, that these are the same people that you want to take care of you when you're sick, that these are the same people that you want to uh, protect you from uh, you know, a, a bad food, bad medicine. Like the, the, it's, the same, it's the same people. This is what is so amazing to me, that if you look at something like the Iraq War, I think the reason people look away from it is that these are considered to be the white knights of all social ills in our society. These are the guys who ride mm. over the cavalry, who save us from all the bad things in the world that we imagine. And when we look at what they're doing in this particular situation and environment, I think it, is, it, is such a, it, it pushes these, these opposite magnets together in people's heads to the point where it's almost like it's almost like there's a personality disassembling that, that can occur when you try and put these two things together. They're the same people who are you know, putting these, these uh, ungodly radiations into the lungs of Iraqi children and, and uh, doing all of these astonishing uh, uh, evils are the same people that you're running to to save you from price gouging from Wall Street. Uh, and I think for people to try and put those two things together is really, um, it's really very hard. Uh, and I think it's almost impossible. So they just ignore it. I think just, they have, just like pretend it, yeah. Yeah, and that way they can talk about sequestration, and they can talk about budgets, and they can talk about uh, this law or SOPA or whatever. They, they can focus on this detritus without looking at the big, like a truly an Old Testament moral view of this monstrous beast squatting above us, you know, crapping all over our future and our children. Um, I, I think that for people to look at the evil that this, uh, this uh, system is capable of is it just short circuits them when they say, oh, yes, but it would be great if it took care of our health. Well, my God, I mean, just talk to the natives, right? I mean, they, they've been under government control for hundreds of years uh, and their entire civilization has been completely destroyed and they remain, you know, broken, addicted, uh, messed up, horrifying uh, remnants of, of their former selves. You know, the, it is really like, uh, it's like that wood chipper in Fargo putting stuff into the state. And I, I think that people have such trouble... And I knew this was going to be a video that wasn't going to get a lot of traction. I really wanted to put it out there so the information was available for those who did. Yeah. But it's really hard yeah. to look at that stuff. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like finding your bride strangling a hobo. You know, like, what does that say yeah. about your marriage? But she'll be a great mom, right? Yeah, but you're right. The people do avoid these things, and probably they're going to avoid that video, which they shouldn't, because it's only an hour, and it, it, it gives you a full education, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the whole situation. Um, 
but I, I've thought for, for some time that, you know, the surest, easiest way to ruin a dinner party is to bring up the reality of, of U.S. imperialism abroad and just to, just to point out, you know, the carnage of that day, you know, which you can find out, you know, by going to antiwar.com or whatever and just raise it at a dinner party. Wow, isn't it awful what the U.S. did to that Iraqi, uh, to that wedding in Afghanistan? Just dropped that bomb right there on there and killed uh, seven people. I mean, that will ruin the dinner party. Nobody wants, it's almost impolite to mention the reality about what's going on. That's the ethos, I sense, anyway, nobody in this country. Nobody wants to taste the blood just, on their fork, you know? I mean, nobody wants to taste yeah. the blood in their meat. Uh, the, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the wealth in the U.S., of course, is generated from the free market or the, the remnants thereof, but so much of the wealth is generated from predation and violence. I mean, from yeah. the counterfeiting of the fiat currencies to government contracts to right. prison contracts to, to military contracts to, I mean, so much of the wealth is going back to a true you know, veil of tears and, and bloodshed that there's so much of it washing around the streets. You know, it's like that old Doors song, blood in the streets, it's up to my ankles. Uh, there is, yeah. um, in, in late empire, there is uh, such a horrendous, um, the money is driven um, like a vampire through the streets, just able yeah. to get at whatever jugular it can. And I think for people to look at the source of what is even the last twitches of wealth. I think like the American economy is dead, but you know, like after things die, they twitch for a little while. And I think for people to yeah. see where the actual wealth is coming from, uh, for a lot of people, it's it's just horrendous. I mean, it's 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 brutal. And of course, it's, you know, at the dinner party thing in the upper classes, uh, for people to say, where is my money actually coming from? And and what is the price of what is occurring? Um, is really quite, uh, I think it's quite horrifying for them. And it would impel them to a kind of action. And I think that when we feel that we can't act to change our situation, I think we try to avoid information that stimulates us. You know, I sort of think, yeah. you know, when you freeze to death, apparently, like, I worked up north as a gold panner for my uh, late, late teens, and they always said, you know, if you, if you start feeling really warm, come inside. <laughs> you know, like if you feel like you're just going to curl up and have a nice nap in the snowbank, then come inside, because that's not good. And I think that um, when your body says, well, we can't, we can't change our situation, therefore we're going to avoid information that's going to make us uncomfortable. And I think people feel so paralyzed to change their situation. The government is so big. The political system is so impenetrable for, to change. It's so self-protecting. And their social yeah. circles are so avoidant of any information. I think people feel yes. paralyzed. And as a result, it's like, why would I look at something that's horrible that I can't change? Why, why would I want to be awake for this operation, so to speak? Right. But, but, the, but the ignorance is a problem because people misdiagnose uh, situations that they should be able to uh, assess with some realism. After 9-11, my very first thought was, well, there you go. Um, this is what happens when you have uh, troops in 150 countries, when you, when you prop up you know, horrible dictators abroad, when you're sending taxpayers you know, abroad to invade people's land, and when you starve people out with sanctions. And I thought, well, at long, long last, the American people are going to wake up to the cost of empire and demand an end to it. I swear to you, Stefan, that was my first thought. Harry okay? Brown had the same, I really, same thought, yeah. I, I believe that for a day. And then woke up the next day and saw no evidence <laughs> that this sensibility had struck anybody well, it went but the other way, Right, it went the other way, where, where you think it's that it's like, exactly hey, you, you've got lung cancer. Wow, I better smoke more. I mean, this is, this is so bizarre. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's almost like people didn't even understand that any of this was going on. I mean, truly people think, well, well you know, look what's happening. I, mean, I was held in my backyard barbecue. I'm watching my football game. I'm minding my own business. And then these horrible uh, foreign peoples are coming in and bombing us for no good reason. But that was really, 
uh, really, that was the, the sense. <clears throat> Americans mostly think about this country as a kind of a, a, a commercial, a peaceful commercial republic that's being, you know, unjustly targeted by, by weirdos with strange religions. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, the prevailing attitude, and it's just ent- entirely based on <laughs> absence of information or uh, unwillingness to look at, at the truth. Well, the reality is, Jeff, I mean, I think that this is fairly incontrovertible, though I'm certainly happy to hear arguments to the contrary, but the reality is that most people will choose um, to, to die rather than question conformity. I mean, we know that because people sign up for wars, they, they will show up for the draft, there are very few conscientious objectors, very few people trying to get out of the army uh, once they understand what it's all about, uh, and m- most people, and I think this you know, this has some moral elements to it, but it also has, I think, some basic biological elements that we were tribally based throughout most of our evolution. And if you went against the tribe, you neither got to reproduce with the women nor hunt with the people and get the protection at night, and therefore you'd be out in the woods alone and your genes would die off. So anybody who who questioned or challenged the the ethics of the tribe would usually be rejected, ostracized, and abandoned. And therefore those genes just didn't come along. What, What came along were... Um, well, if I'm going to die without the tribe, I might as well go fight for the tribe because at least they have a chance to live in battle. But if the tribe rejects me, I'm dead. Uh, or at least my genes don't get right. passed along, which, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, is pretty much the same thing. And so this, I don't know, one of the things that I have been so conscious of and working so hard to to try and get people to understand is that, I mean, this is what I was talking about in, in Nagadochus, that our ethics are so far behind our technology. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, you could do this when we were, you know, hatchets and swords and, and all that. That's one thing. But, you know, these, these you know, bunker-busting bombs and, and um, uh, these um, horrible radioactive weapons that are being used on battlefields. I mean, it is a little mini-nuclear war that's occurring in, in Iraq with a half-life of four billion years. That, that we, have to, we have to find a way to catch up. Uh, I mean, the, this, the, the, the double convulsive near-suicide of Western civilization in the First and Second World War um, was... I mean, we're not going to get a third round of that. And, um, you know, ways to fight off some of the irrational doctrines like, like Islam and other fundamentalists and things. And, I mean, some of the radical leftist, socialist, communist, fascist stuff that's still sweeping around the world. We have got to start catching up with our technology, uh, with our ethics. And we have to start outgrowing the, the limitations of our, of our evolutionary sort of pseudo-morality biology. Uh, and so I think I was intrigued by your talk. I mean, that that talk was very interesting to me because I never really thought about the ways in which, our, and I hope that you've posted that somewhere. I think you have mm-hmm. uh, the ways in which our conventional ethical systems have been distorted for basically forever because state intellectuals or or elite intellectuals have tried to conform uh, ethics to the prevailing regime. You know, and you gave a whole series of examples of this. You know that every single ethical system always seems to try to make room for the state. You know, to be able to get away with its stuff that it's whatever it's doing. You've got to come up with an ethical system that carves out a special place. You know, for the state to continue to engage in its and its looting and its terror and its and its stealing and its murders, and that kind of poisons the rest of the ethical system. You know, by itself, and that was, I think, the way I understood yeah. your talk. And, and the and, progress has been terrible. And, progress has been yeah. terrible. And, but then you went even one step further, and I, I love this. And, and it sounds like an outlandish claim, but you said that we now have, for the first time in history, the opportunity because of communication technology, because we now really fully see uh, the evil of uh, you know the aggressive apparatus that uh, that rules us uh, to have a conversation about 
about consistent uh, principled ethical systems that we can we, and and you said this that this for the first time in history this opportunity is available to us right now and that was a very intriguing oh we are uh, right claim. below I, thought about it. I mean we're right below an unbelievable unprecedented never occurred and never will occur again potential for honest communication about virtue I mean, unfiltered by yeah. the state unfiltered by superstition unfiltered by fear uh, other than you know the usual fears of putting your heart and mind out there in public, but it is inc- what I, I really feel like uh, you know a guy on top of a mountain with like thunderbolts in his hands. Uh, just because of the technology, uh, we we do have an incredible yeah. opportunity to have an honest conversation from first principles, without being yeah. deviated by by greed for status or greed for money or or afraid of of repercussions or punishments. <laughs> it is a completely unique, and the state doesn't get this at all. And and of course, any change that will occur is not going to be part of the the career lifespan of any, oh, sorry, of any real current politician. But it, it is a unique opportunity, and uh, that's one of the reasons I've been working, you know, thousands of shows. I mean, working so hard to try and get people to understand yeah. that, I mean, it's one of the things I like to say to people, and I want to say this even to the libertarians, it's like we all know where this goes without significant muscular intellectual and moral intervention. We all know this story has been written a thousand times before. We all know where the expansion of the state leads, particularly with its current trajectories. And I think that we need to have a little bit more of a sterner moral center. I say this to myself too, because I don't meet my own standards at least half the time during the day. But it's what I try to remind myself, that the muscularity of our moral consistent response, I think, needs to be very strenuous because uh, we are really attempting to, to undo a story that has... Um, had such momentum throughout history uh, and we are trying to awaken people who are so invested in sleepwalking off a cliff uh, and uh, with the technology we have we simply can't do we can't afford to do it again the Marxists used to talk about consciousness raising as being their first job and uh, uh, really I think that's it's a good description of our first job you know just to just to draw attention to to the reality you know and uh, to to you know conjure up an idealism that people haven't usually always held in the past. Yeah, and just to try and connect people to we we love the stories of heroism. You know, we love stories of integrity. We love stories of heroism. We love the stories of like a great film, 12 Angry Men. I'm sure you've seen it uh, about yes. a man who stands up for an unjustly accused... Um, ooh, spoiler. <laughs> a man who stands up for a potentially unjustly accused... Right, so somebody who stands in the face of social pressure for that which is right. And we admire the Rosa Parks and we admire the Martin Luther Kings and we admire the Gandhis and so on, even though some of their <laughs> methodologies and results were questionable at best. But now that we love those stories. And I just want yeah. to try and tell people you don't have to watch them. You know, this... You, you don't have to just watch these stories. You can be that story. You can, you can climb into the movie that you that made you weep with joy and made your life yeah. feel beautiful for two hours. You can climb into that and be that, uh, and um, not just watch it from afar uh, as a, a impotent spectator, which really is what those things are designed to do. They're designed to give you the feeling of uh, of moral satisfaction without actually having to go through the challenges of it. Sometimes I think it's a little bit more enervating than it is energizing, but uh, but people can can make those choices. They can push people around them uh, in their lives to confront the evils of the system that they unconsciously and with all due innocence um, uh, support. But uh, we really and, and have to be a bit more of a gadfly. Sorry, go ahead. And, at, and in every possible way, not participate in the system. You know, the, I, I've been thinking about this for the last year a lot, that there's so many opportunities we have to decline to be 
to de decline to accept the nudge in the direction that the state's giving us. And then the state is nudging us, you know, all the time uh, to use its services, you know, to obey the Fed, you know, uh, by going into massive debt, for example, you know, um, to, um, to never think outside the system that they've set up for us to live within. And there's perfectly, there's, there's uh, a thousand perfectly legal ways to get outside this central apparatus, but it takes a little bit of courage, uh, some creativity, a willingness to be told by others, I don't think what you're doing is very smart or very wise. I think you should just go along and stop trying to fight the system. So it takes this a little bit of personal initiative, but the payoff is huge. I mean, to, to live a freer life and to have more choice and to feel a greater sense of self-determination, you know, over, over your affairs um, is, is a magnificent thing. I mean, you feel like when you've made even small steps to, uh, to get out of debt or to uh, try a different educational route or to change jobs, even though you feel trapped in one, you know, just because you want to exercise your human rights, uh, it's a wonderful feeling. You feel more human, actually, because that's our destiny. You know, isn't it our destiny to, to make choices and to be free? So the freer we can make our own lives, the more we can get a taste of what the whole of society could be, could be like. Mm. I, yeah, I agree with all of that. I, I think for me, something that shows up for me even more pressingly, perhaps because I've dealt with at least some of those issues, Jeff, is I feel that the government is like this big giant spider web that is constantly interfering with yeah. an expression of basic human virtues. And the two virtues that I think it most interferes with are honesty and compassion. And so, uh, you know, you were talking about the dinner party, you know, the, the, and I think we all feel this yeah. a little bit. You know, I was talking with people on airplanes. I'm happy to chat with just about anyone. And, you know, it's like, do I get into it? Do I not? You know, talk about it or not? You know, people you meet socially or whatever and um, people who say stuff that, you know, do you say something or not? Um, and so I think that the basic honesty of having conversations about ethics, about the system, about the coercion, about the, the you know, the basic idea that we're not done in our evolution as a species. There's this weird thing where everyone thinks, well, the last thing was tough, you know, like getting rid of slavery, racism, sexism. But now we're done. You know, it's the end of history, as the guy wrote. Uh, and I think that the basic honesty, the, the censorship, the soft, webby censorship between us all, right, that, that we, there's so many things that are difficult, really difficult to talk about, that people are volatile in their response to. That is really, a really tough. Like I was on a show with um, a couple of atheists. I'm going to cross myself now. I was on a show with a couple of atheists a while back, and, and even approaching with them the concept of a voluntary society, I mean, boy, we're not very rational for people who claim <laughs> follow reason and evidence. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and so there's this weird censorship where, you know, people are willing to... to have you thrown in jail for disagreeing with them? They're willing to support that. They're willing to do all of this crazy stuff. Or if you, as you say, if you bring up the, the what's happening in Iraq, you know, I mean, Noam Chomsky wrote an article yesterday just about how the, the Boston bombings are like a tiny one-tenth of one-tenth of one percent of a taste of what America yeah. is inflicting and other, and not just America, but other imperialist nations are inflicting overseas. And just to, to even try and make that connection that there are people in, in, in Iraq who are suffering in ways that we can't even conceive of. I mean, the people here... I mean, it's unbelievably awful to have your leg blown off, but you get medevaced to a state-of-the-art medical facility and you live. This is not what is happening in Iraq. 
You know, I mean, you get leukemia right. from one of these radioactive weapons and there's almost nobody to treat you and there's almost no treatments even if you can find a doctor. But to bring up that basic honesty of what the truth is and the basic compassion to, to get people to try to connect with other human beings uh, who, you know, are a little further away and maybe a slightly different color, it's, I think that censorship is really, I feel like I'm just constantly pushing through these soft kind of resisty, foggy, spiderwebby kind of censorship things where basic honesty and compassion seems to be hard to connect with people. I think the spiderweb is a good, is a good um, <clears throat> metaphor, really, because uh, blind to the web and, and stick, right? Until, until and it's, those not, it's not a bonk, bonk. It's not a hard resistance, right? But it's a soft kind of, yeah. people don't fight you. They just kind of... You know, kind of back away yeah. a little, and they just kind of avoid yeah. and dodge a little. It's not you can't ever, you know. I mean, a fight to me is much better, but this kind of soft, just like they just kind of disconnect from the conversation, and I think that's very hard to to really have a productive moral conversation in in that kind of. Well, I think I think your word honesty is a, a kind of a good way to sum up the work that you're doing, and um, it's not just about foreign policy. It's not just about domestic policy and taxes and economics and. And familial ethics and these kind of things. I think with a with a video you put out yesterday, just to return to the old topic, uh, it was very um, it was very honest and very open and uh, moving. And I think if people watch it carefully, you know, you'll see a kind of a, an illustration of of uh, how to deal with life tragedies. So I wanted to thank you for that and congratulate you for that. I know you didn't make it to get thanked or congratulated. You made it just. Just to be truthful, but it was a it was a beautiful thing. Thank you. It's so not an easy I, you know, thing to, I mean, to chat about, but I really tried to, you know, really be as direct and, and open as possible, and not to sugarcoat, but also not to doom and gloom, and to give people a full full perspective, and and to remind people that it's really hard. I mean, there's something that for me that has been so humbling about being part of a public philosophical process that it's really hard to know yeah. what's good and bad in life. I mean, it's re- I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous because we're supposed to know, you know, your philosophy should know all these things. But, I mean, gosh, you know, I had some trouble with the media four or five years ago, and after that, the show just took off. And at the time, I thought, oh, wow, that's really bad. They're calling me all these terrible names. That's yeah. really... And then it's like the show just went gangbusters after that. And I don't know, in a sense, I don't know necessarily what's the good or bad stuff because I'm just wrong quite a lot. That, that, and... that is so true. Yeah, you can't, you can't anticipate. I mean, we, we are oftentimes presumptuous and thinking, okay, that's a good thing, uh, but this is a bad thing. This is an advance. This is a setback. Actually... History often has different plans. You if know? you're doing new things, and, yes. I mean, if you're not doing, you know, you crash your car off a cliff, uh, yes, that's a bad thing. But if you're doing new things, it's really, really hard to know because you're in uncharted territory. You know, like what's over the next hill that no one's been to before? You can make a guess, yeah. but you're probably not going to be correct. So I've really tried to resist, um, yeah, anticipation, resist, resist the idea that I know whether something in advance is going to be a good or, or bad, positive or negative. And... That gives right. me, I think, a real openness to be more in the present. Because, of course, if you think you know what the next thing is and whether it's good or bad, I mean, if I can keep, I mean, let's say, uh, and I genuinely believe this will be the case. So let's say I'm you know, fully cured, no remissions and all that. If I can keep the happiness, the centeredness, the, the peace of mind, the perspective, I'm, and I'm going to work to keep that. I know everybody turns into an asshole two months after they get better. But anyway, if I can keep that. Oh, is that, that true? I, I, I've, I've heard that, you know, everyone makes all these vows when they get sick. And then, you know, two months later, they're like, I can't believe I got a tax bill. Ah! Right? 
I stubbed my toe. This is the worst day ever. Where's my half a donut? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I didn't know that. Well, well, isn't that interesting? It's like the lottery yeah. thing, right? Everybody's happy when the when the lottery and a year later they wish they never won it. But but um, <laughs> but, but if I I think I think that's a way to keep it. I mean, I think that's a way to keep it. And I you know I say this in in all humility, sincerity, and and hope that that if you know if the prognosis goes as well as I'm going to do my very best to make it go, and as you know everyone tells me is is good. If I can keep the value from this ailment without the ailment, I'm telling you, it's really close to yeah. being worth it. It's really, yeah, you know, yeah. and I may find, you know, five years from now, I might look back and say, damn, did that ever shake the cobwebs out and wake me up to the beauty of life and to the perspective that was necessary for doing the high-flying act that I think we're all doing in our culture. So I don't know. I, I refuse to say it's a bad thing. And I, I just, because I, I, that to me is claiming a knowledge I simply don't possess and, and for which I have ample evidence that I've been wrong so many times before that it would be ridiculous for me to claim to possess uh, something like that. So that's sort of where I'm coming from. And I'm, I'm entirely open to this being a gift. I mean, I know that sounds completely yeah. insane, but I'm entirely open no, to that possibility not. because so it's, far... It's, it's a beautiful app. It has been. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you know that there are uh, probably by now millions of us uh, that are keeping you uh, in our thoughts. And, and uh, I have to tell you that my, my prayers are so far uh, been uh, un- incredibly ineffective. And I don't know how to count for that. Maybe we need to talk about that sometime. But I do know people who's, who have well, better… Well, I am a heathen, uh, therefore… <laughs> Therefore, but you know, the, maybe the phone line isn't connected to this house, but anyway, go on. <laughs> but anyway, you're always in our thoughts, and I hope that you continue to share, you know, I because will. we, yeah, we learn. We want to learn with you. So. Yeah. And again, this is a common experience which we're all going to go through at some point or another, whether directly uh, sooner or indirectly later, hopefully. But uh, I will certainly keep, I don't want to hide this. This is an important thing. And, and philosophy has to me at least so far the greatest value in this area than almost anything else other than parenting and marriage and friendship than that I've experienced. So I do want to show people at least my experience of how philosophy and, and wisdom can hopefully help navigate some of these white waters. So so listen, I'm, I, I, I do actually have to, my guests are going to be leaving soon, so I do have to go and uh, help them out. Sure. But uh, thank, obviously, thank you for spending the time. Oh, my pleasure. I really appreciate it. This was last minute and I, I just wanted to talk to you. And you know, it's funny, like I mentioned to you earlier, this, this avoidance thing that people sometimes have, ever since I observed that that goes on, I always want to do the opposite because right. that's what we want to do. We want to talk and yeah. we want to be friends with our friends. So, so thank you for, uh, so much, Stefan, for, for taking the time my today. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay.